0: There's an old movie that came out back when I was in high school, uh, back in 1995, and it was called Braveheart. Uh, We have a picture of this that we're going to put on the screen here this morning, but the main character was a guy by the name of William Wallace, who was a Scottish peasant, and he kind of was reluctantly pushed into leading this rebellion against the King of England after his wife was innocently killed. But near the end of the movie, uh, Wallace is captured. He's given this one last opportunity to say one last thing. And with every bit of courage and strength that he has, he screams out at the top of his lungs, Freedom! Freedom. It was the thing that he and his men had committed their life's pursuit to. A search for freedom. Well, today we're kicking off a new Sunday school year and we're going to be talking about this idea of freedom, about being set free, about living free. And you're probably wondering about the chains here this morning. I mean, if you're not, then you're probably not paying attention because we we don't normally wear chains around like this. I mean, maybe you see people wearing gold chains around their neck every now and then, but I'm pretty sure that you've never seen me wear this before. And so, Jason, why the chains? Well, because ultimately our greatest freedom, our greatest freedom need that you and I have is not freedom from oppressive governments or not uh, freedom from a domineering parent or a demeaning job or a selfish spouse. No, our greatest freedom need is to be set free from the power and guilt, the shame of sin. Left to ourselves, we can't do that. We can't defeat sin. I mean... You you, want to do good, You, you don't want to sin, but you end up doing it over and over and over again. Time and time again, we fail to do the good that we ought to do, that we want to do, that our heart is set on doing, because we struggle with sin. And so we rationalize it, and we figure out how we can kind of explain it away, and we say things like, listen, I'm not as bad as she is, or I'm not as bad as he is, I mean, they're super sinful, but I'm not super sinful. Or we justify ourselves and we say, hey, you know, I'm sure that the good that I'm doing is outweighing the bad that I'm doing, and so I should be okay. I mean, in the end, when I stand before God, I'll be sure to bring along with me a list of all of the good things that I've ever done, and I think that on the balanced scale of life and death, my good will outweigh my bad, and I'll be okay. But in the end, you and I, because of our sin, struggle to find true freedom. Okay, but but Jason, why the chains? Well, I'm wearing these chains for a purpose here this morning, and that purpose is because sin weighs us down and it holds us back, and we need help to gain freedom from the power and guilt, the shame of our sin. You know, I think in our culture today, even as Christians, we don't really like to use the word sin. It's uncomfortable. It feels judgmental. It feels harsh and uncaring. And so we kind of shy away from this word sin. We don't like it. We don't use it, especially not outside of the church. I mean, as parents, we don't normally say to our kids, Hey, you sinned when you didn't clean up your room because you didn't obey. I mean, we don't normally say those things. Normally, an employer doesn't say to an employee, hey, you've been padding your expense accounts. We need to sit down and talk about your sin. That doesn't normally happen, but I think it's important for us to talk about this here because our tendency is to minimize or to justify our sin, and instead of calling it sin, we say things like, hey, you know, I I don't really sin just mess up every now and then. But is that really accurate? Is that really acknowledging the seriousness of our sin? Or what about this one? Well, I don't sin. I just wander from the straight and narrow occasionally. I mean, that makes us feel a lot better, right? I just wander from the straight and narrow occasionally. Or maybe this is the most popular one of all. I don't sin. I just make mistakes. Kind of like, oh well, I guess I made a mistake. But the problem is that a mistake is something that you do when you're working on a math problem and you forget to add right. Or you're uh, maybe going to the grocery store and you accidentally turn down the wrong road to get there. That's a mistake. Mistakes are correctable. We can learn from them so that we don't do them again. But that's not really what we're talking about here when we're talking about sin. I mean, there are times when we sin on purpose that it's not just a mistake. You think about the high school student who has an exam, but they didn't study for that exam. And so they decide to make a cheat sheet in order to score better on that exam. That's not just a mistake, is it? I mean, it's not. The teacher wouldn't say, oh, that's just a mistake. Go ahead and cheat as much as you want. That's not how this works. It's not just a mistake to repeatedly cheat on the vows that you have made to your spouse. And I'm sure that your spouse would not think that it was just a mistake either. Are are you just making a mistake when you steal from your employer? You know... I think that we need to recognize and reconsider how it is that we talk about this, what it is that we call this, and acknowledge that sin is a very serious thing. But when we do that, we begin to feel all of the weight and the power and the guilt of sin. And we begin to realize that what we really need now is freedom. As many of you already know, the Bible says in places like Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the reality is, is that you are a sinner, that I am a sinner, that everyone here in the room this morning is a sinner. But the question is, is it possible to experience freedom and forgiveness or do we have to continually live under the burden and the weight of that sin? You know, maybe we, you grew up and you were hearing a lot about sin and sinners, about condemnation and judgment and hell. Maybe as uh, 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 you grew up, you believed that God enjoys sending people, bad people, to hell. Maybe you've wrestled with this. Maybe you've struggled with this. You're not really sure what to make of it. Well, today... I hope that we'll get some clarity on this as we look at the loving kindness of the, that God shows us through Jesus in the, way that we, that the, in the way that he responds to those who are trapped by the weight of their sin, by the power and the guilt of their sinfulness. When, when, we're, what we're going to do today is that Jesus, we're going to see that Jesus offers us free forgiveness, that he offers restoration and healing and new life. Jesus did teach that sin separates us from God, but he also taught us that God is willing to forgive us and to bring us back into a relationship with him. It was important to Jesus that men and women faced and embraced their own sinfulness, but at the same time that they also understood the gift of forgiveness and wholeness that he would offer. You see, it is in forgiveness that we find freedom from the power of guilt and sin. If you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app. But I want to invite you to join me in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, where this morning we are going to see an interesting story where Jesus extends forgiveness and restoration to a woman who is without a doubt a sinner. Jesus was, or John rather, John was one of Jesus' closest disciples. John wrote this account on the life and ministry of Jesus. But one of the stories that he shares with us is the story of Jesus and this woman. And we want to pick up the story, uh, John chapter 8 and verse 2. Here's what we read. Early in the morning, he, Jesus, came again to the temple All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Now, I want us to just make a little bit of sense here of what's going on. And so we have a picture that we're going to put up on the screen here. And it's a picture of the temple. And I want you to notice how big these courtyards are here. It's very common for the teachers and leaders, the rabbis of Jesus' day, to go into this temple courtyard right here where the arrow is pointing to. They would sit down, they would have students gather around them, they would begin to share their wisdom to teach and to instruct them. Jesus wouldn't have uh, been the only teacher there in the temple courtyard that day. There would have been other leaders. There would have been other rabbis with students who were gathered around them too. But I want you to imagine that somewhere in this area is where Jesus is. And he is seated and his followers are gathered around him. They're listening to the wisdom that he is sharing with them. And so Jesus is teaching them. He is instructing them. But what happens next is totally unexpected. Verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. Listen, this is a drama-filled moment. Right in the middle of the teaching that Jesus is doing with his students gathered around him, these religious leaders of the day, these scribes and Pharisees, these leaders of the temple, these teachers of the law come in and they come right into the center of this meeting and they, come in, they put in front of Jesus this woman who has been caught in sin. And you can just bet that it was quiet enough that you could hear a pin drop in that moment. This is an awkward, awkward moment. Now, I'm sure that there may be all different kinds of thoughts and emotions that are running through your mind related to this situation. Maybe you feel bad for this woman. You feel embarrassed for her. You feel the shame that she must have been experiencing in that moment. And I think that it's right. It's appropriate to have compassion and sympathy on this woman who has been brought and is standing in front of all of these people. But at the same time, we can't ignore the fact that this woman, as badly as we might feel for her right now, is truly a sinner. Well, the men who had brought this woman now begin to speak. Verse 4, they they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, (laughs) Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. So we're not... They're not really trying to resolve some kind of difficult matter here in this moment. They're they're, they're trying to trap Jesus. That's what we're told here in the scriptures. I mean, picture this once. They've got this woman. She's standing in the middle of this crowd of people. Her head is bowed. Her eyes are just staring at the ground. I imagine that she's crying. The tears are just streaming down the sides of her cheek. That her face is red. She's been publicly shamed by this spectacle that has been created. She, she's, um, she's trembling. She's trembling out of fear for her life. I mean, the penalty for this is very clear in the law of Moses. She is to be stoned to death for this. And so this woman is standing there. And while these religious leaders are talking to Jesus uh, the, the, uh, and telling him what, they, what he should do, they're talking about this. They've tried to lay this trap for him. You see, if Jesus says, you know what, don't stone her, then he's going to be going against the law of Moses. I I mean, everybody knew what the penalty for this kind of action was. They knew that she was supposed to be stoned to death. And if he says, don't stone her, then he's going to lose credibility because he's undermining the law of Moses. But... If he says, go ahead and stone her, he's immediately in trouble with the Romans who are in control of the land. Because they're the ones who were the, the people who would give permission for somebody to be killed. If there was going to be a sentence of death, it was the Roman government who controlled that decision. And so these guys, they think that they have Jesus right where they want him. That no matter what he says, he is in trouble. He's in trouble with the Jews if he says, don't stone her. He's in trouble with the Romans if he says, go ahead and stone her. And they are waiting to hear what he's going to say so that they can accuse him. Because they really don't like him very much. So what does Jesus do? What is he going to do in this situation? Well, read on to the second part of verse 6 there. And it says, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. He doesn't answer the question. He simply kneels down and he begins to write in the dirt with his finger. And what did he write? Well, wouldn't you like to know what he wrote, right? I'll tell you what he wrote. We don't know. We don't know! We we, we could maybe guess, but the Bible doesn't really tell us here. And so there's no way of knowing for sure what it is that Jesus was writing there in the dirt. Maybe he was just playing tic-tac-toe. We don't know. Jesus doesn't answer their question, but that doesn't mean that they stop asking. Look at verse uh, 7. Here's what it says. And they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once he bent down and wrote on the ground. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And all of a sudden, things have changed. The accusers are silent. This is not what they had expected from Jesus. He, he, he's, taught, he's caught them off guard here with this penetrating statement. They, they, they stop pestering him for a response, and they, they, they stop to think about what he has just said. Let him who is without sin throw the first stone. Jesus says, examine your own life. Take a look at yourself. Are you a perfect person? Do you have the right to stand in condemnation of someone else and their sin? And in that moment, those religious leaders are speechless. They don't know how to respond. Listen, if you are so good, feel free to toss the first stone. Verse nine, but when they heard it, They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. must have been an amazing few moments as one by one by one, the men who had brought this woman forward for condemnation turned and left in silence. Those who had come to shame the woman find themselves leaving in shame. Those who had come to trap Jesus find themselves trapped in their own sinfulness. And in the end, this ring of accusers is gone. And now Jesus and this woman are still there in the center. And I imagine that around him are still the disciples, the followers of Jesus, those who had been with him earlier as he was teaching them. And they're wondering to themselves, well, what's going to happen now? This is what happens. Verse 10 Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, I I, want to draw just a couple of points out of this story here. And the first one is just this, that the guilt of sin, the guilt of sin you know it's interesting to me that that jesus doesn't ask her are you guilty i mean he doesn't probe into the situation any deeper and i think that one of the reasons for that is because she is guilty she's been caught in her sin but but when he asks her about those who have brought her in condemnation to condemn her no one is there to condemn her anymore and he says you know i don't condemn you either Not because you've lived the perfect life, because clearly you haven't lived the perfect life. You are a sinner. You did sin. Everybody knows that. But I don't condemn you because I choose to forgive you. And that's the second crucial point here, the forgiveness of Jesus. That Jesus said, you need something more than condemnation. You need forgiveness and a new beginning. Jesus doesn't minimize the seriousness of her sin by any measure, but he offers her what she needed more deeply, forgiveness and new life. And what does forgiveness bring? Well, it brings freedom, freedom from the power of sin, freedom from the condemnation that sin inevitably brings to us. And so I ask you, what about you? I mean have you received the forgiveness that Jesus offers so freely and how do we get that kind of forgiveness what, where does it come from well John in another letter that he wrote several years later he says this first John chapter 1 and verse 9 if we confess our sin he Jesus God the son is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness friends the truth is that we sin because we are sinners and we are sinners because we sin we sin because we are sinners and we we are sinners because we sin but rather than condemnation Jesus offers us forgiveness he doesn't minimize our sin he doesn't ignore our sin he says I forgive your sin." If you'll confess your sin to me, if you'll come in brokenness and humbleness to me, I will give you forgiveness. And when we receive that forgiveness, the chain of condemnation that we wear around our necks, that chain, uh, the, the burdens that we carry, it's lifted off of us. Not because of what we do, but because of what he has done for us. And we are free. We are free, no more condemnation because of Jesus. You say, well, Jason, I mean, you still got a chain around your neck. Did did you forget to take that chain off? I didn't. Because, you know, there's another issue here. The second chain represents the guilt of sin. It's one thing to be free from the condemnation that sin brings to us, but it's another thing that happens here, more inside of us. It's the guilt of our sin. In fact, I often hear people say things like this. I know that I've been forgiven by God of all my sin, but I just can't forgive myself. How can I forgive myself of all the wrong things that I've done? And that's our guilt speaking. We know that we've hurt people. We know that we've said things that we shouldn't have said. We know that we've done things that we shouldn't have done. We know that we've cried out to God for forgiveness and he's forgiven us. But we still feel this weight. We feel this guilt, this burden of what we've done. How can I forgive myself? How do I do that? Well, there's good news today. And that is that you don't have to forgive yourself. You don't because you've been forgiven. And it's not about forgiving yourself. It's about you embracing what you've already been given. You think back to David in the Old Testament, the great king of Israel. He was a great man and a great king. But but David was a first-class sinner. I mean, he may have been the king, but he wasn't a good man all the time. You probably know the story of how he sinned with Bathsheba And then, in order to kind of cover up that sin, he had her husband killed. But the fact is that you can't cover up sin. Your sins will surely find you out. David was a sinner. And David cried out to God for forgiveness. And God graciously forgave David of his sin. But but there were also consequences of that sin that came along with that. There's consequences for all of our sins. But David experienced the forgiveness of God. Later on, he writes these words in Psalm chapter 32 and verse 5. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity or the guilt of my sin. Friends, what that tells me is that when we cry out to God and confess our sin to him, when he forgives us, it is not about us forgiving ourselves anymore, but it is about us receiving, it is about us embracing his forgiveness. That can be a real challenge. I've been there, I, I know how hard it is. But I also know how freeing it is when I begin to realize that God is forgiving me and his forgiveness covers not only the condemnation of my sin, but also the guilt of my sin. And now I can take off that other chain and I'm free. I'm free from the burden of the condemnation and the guilt of my sin. Not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus has done when he went and died on the cross in my place. You know, a little while later, um, Jesus would say these words, John chapter 8. A verse that is represented on our shirts here this morning, but it starts there in verse 34 is where I want to begin. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And then here it is. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. When Jesus frees us from the condemnation and the guilt of our sin, we are free. Free indeed. The burdens are lifted. The chains are broken and gone. And friends, real freedom, true freedom for you and me is only found in Jesus Christ, nowhere else. Not in our best efforts, not in our comparisons, not in hoping that our good outweighs our bad. True freedom is found only in Jesus who offers us forgiveness from the condemnation and the guilt of our sin. It is a freedom that we cannot earn, a freedom that we cannot buy, and quite frankly, a freedom that we don't deserve. But because he loves it, he offers it to us freely. It is a freedom that will lift your heaviest burden. Now, we often think that if we could just experience freedom, that we can be free to do whatever it is that we want to do, that if we find freedom in Jesus, that we can live however we choose to live. But that's not true, because there is one thing that we just need to keep in mind here. When we are set free, we're not set free to do whatever it is that we want to do. We are set free to do whatever he wants us to do, to live as he wants us to live, when we are no longer burdened by our sin. We are free to love in the way that Jesus loved. And this is what Jesus said. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that's just one example of how Jesus frees us to live for him because we have been set free by Jesus we we can now live in a way that reflects him and so I want to leave you with this challenge these four thoughts I challenge you to admit that you are a sinner Own the reality of what you already know in your heart, that you are a sinner. But then secondly, receive Jesus' forgiveness. Understand that he is not there to condemn, but he is there to forgive and to give you freedom. Third, embrace your new freedom. Embrace your freedom. And fourth, live to serve and obey and reflect Jesus in your everyday life. Friends, freedom, true freedom is found only in Jesus and in living every moment of your life for him. Let's pray.